Yeah, it's Canuck Central. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited. Your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned VC company, helping local business since 1892. The Canucks losing last night to the Ottawa Senators. And by doing so, have rescinded the opportunity to hold their own destiny going into the playoffs. You can thank Jonathan Quick, who uh, 10 years on is still destroying your hearts and dreams, your hopes and dreams, just like he did in that series 10 years ago. Yeah, it's not minds and hearts. It's hopes and dreams (laughs) being dashed. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he stole a game for the LA Kings last night, and (laughs) the Canucks couldn't find a way past the Ottawa Senators. So here they are uh, looking to go into Minnesota and – one thing about the Minnesota Wild, like you thought the Ottawa Senators were a bit greasy last night. Uh, Minnesota is maybe the greasiest team in the league with the way that they play. Zach. Man, they're, they are a tough, tough team. Plus they're fast, plus they have speed. I mean, plus they have skill and they can score and Kaprizov's a superstar. They get goaltending. Really good decor. Good decor. Yeah. I mean, last time the Canucks faced them, obviously Minnesota was tougher, but they held their own and, and battled back to some degree. Luke Shen dropping the gloves right away with Marcus Foligno and yeah. trying to say, hey, okay, we're here tonight not to be run out of the building. And they put up a valiant effort, but still, I mean, to some degree, we're still overpowered by that wild team. Uh, let's bring in our next guest covering the Minnesota Wild for the Star Tribune. It's Sarah McClellan. Thanks for this, Sarah. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Uh, we're doing we're doing all right. Uh, thank you. It's um, it's always an interesting matchup against this Minnesota Wild team. Thinking back to uh, when the Canucks visited a few weeks ago. Just how tough uh, and pesky and uh, annoying, uh, quite frankly, Minnesota can be at times. It's it's really the identity Dean Evison has, has given to this team. Yeah, I think those are probably pretty accurate descriptors of how this wild team has had success this season. Um, when it's at its best, you know, it's a very tough matchup. They can grind on you. Um, like you mentioned, they have speed, they have skill. Um, but they also have that physical edge um, in their forward group on the blue line. So it's it can be a pretty punishing matchup when this team is, is on a roll. And, and that's pretty much how the team's been playing lately, although it's not at full strength. And there's mm-hmm. some key injuries right now to this group. But um, on the flip side, those were two really competitive games against Vancouver this season. And, you know, thinking back to the matchup a few weeks ago, you know, Vancouver, I think, was kind of, like the way that you described the wild, just hanging around. And obviously you could see the desperation, um, you know, in their play with what's at stake and, and their push for a playoff spot. So I'd expect probably more of the same tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, it, it does bode well for it to be an entertaining physical game and a lot at stake, at least for this Canucks team, trying to get itself back into just the playoff conversation at this stage. And, you know, you know, it, at the end of the day, you also need some high-end talent to be a team that's a real threat in the postseason. And certainly the Wild have that in Kirill Kaprizov. What's really stood out to you watching him game in and game out this season, seeing him take that next step as a player? I think it's just the timeliness of his contributions. And he makes a difference when it matters most. Um, you know, he's not somebody who's, you know, padding his stats, you know, on the power play in a 7-1 game. Um, he's scoring at important junctures to help this team. 
Um, whether it's, you know, a game opening goal, a game tying goal, a go ahead goal. Um, obviously he's had success late in games. I, I think just that, that clutch vibe has been very much, you know, maybe a headlining attribute of his second season here in the NHL. And, um, he obviously impressed as a rookie winning the Calder trophy, but he hasn't reverted at all in year two. And like I said, I think that kind of speaks to his maturity that he's able to make a difference and have an impact. Um, when the game's on the line, especially considering he's getting usually the toughest matchup on the ice, he's obviously garners the attention of the opponent and their best players and their best defensive players, and he still finds a way to have an impact um, with his line. Obviously, the chemistry with Matt Zuccarello and their center and Ryan Hartman, it's been a very formidable trio for the Wild this season, and, and he's a big reason why, just because of the way that he's able to turn a game um, with his playmaking, with his shot, um, he's really turned into obviously a very dynamic player in just a short amount of time in the league. Uh, you, you know, Ryan Hartman's having a uh, a, a career season right now, and uh, sure, it helps to play with Kaprizov and and Zuccarello, and and maybe because so much focus goes on to Kaprizov. We don't talk about Mats Zuccarello, who is one of the best veteran players in the league, and even into his well into his thirties now, is uh, is continuing to get it done. I mean, what about Zuccarello's game has been able to age so well? Yeah, kind of a renaissance type season, you know, alongside Kaprizov, and and I think it's just their chemistry that's really, you know, brought out maybe you know the characteristics of his game that thrived when he was in New York and kind of in the prime of his career with the Rangers. Um, his instincts in the offensive zone, his vision, his passing ability. Um, you know, he's obviously factored into quite a few Kaprizov goals. He set the franchise record for single season assists already this season with six games to go. He's up to 53. Um, so he's just kind of had that vision and playmaking ability and a lot of times, like I said, you know, whether it's been Kaprizov, the beneficiary, or as you mentioned, Ryan Hartman, um, with him eclipsing 30 goals this season, um, it's been key for a while. You know, some of that has been on the power play, but a lot of it has been on five at five, mm-hmm. five on five. And that's how this team really thrives. It's, it's not really a special teams type of team. You know, the power play is maybe one of the eyesores of this group. Um, so this is a team that's, you know, Full strength, line versus line, matching, rolling lines has really succeeded. And a lot of that is because of the play and I think the chemistry of that line and the dynamic duo that's been developing between Zuccarello and Kaprizov. Well, and this is a team that in many ways seems to be somewhat all in on this season because of their cap situation, having that opportunity. But when you start looking at the number of young players they have, too, I mean, like, and I want to spend a minute here on Matthew Boldy, but you look at even Marco Rossi, and we'll see if he can play more next season, and you just kind of go through the list of players. They have a bunch of ELCs coming up that can help them kind of get through that cap crunch, it seems like, the next couple of years. But how good has Matthew Boldy been? Because I remember in his draft class, I loved his talent coming up through the USHL, and with USA Team USA program and just how good of a shooter he is and, and all the kind of talent he's had coming up through that level. What's made him so successful so quickly this year? You know what? I think they took a patient approach with him and not rushing him to the NHL. And I think that seasoning in the minors and taking the time has probably helped him make a difference now. 
Um, you know, this is obviously a longer, heavier workload than many, you know, first-year NHL players are used to across an 82-season game. Obviously, he's coming out of college, um, you know, for this his first full-length pro season. Um, to be making a difference at this time of the calendar on a really, really dynamic line right now with Kevin Fiala and Freddie Goudreau, I, I think it was part of that just getting that experience and learning the pro game to enable, you know, his natural skill set, like you mentioned, his shot, his vision, his poise with the puck to really shine. And he didn't look out of place, you know, as a midseason call up then. Because um, I think he was probably, you know, prepared to handle, you know, the rigors of the pro hockey game. And um, he doesn't rush plays. He has the vision, the passing ability, and a chemistry really with Fiala that's kind of taken off this season. But he hasn't looked like a rookie. He hasn't played like a rookie. And so I think that speaks to his development path and the wild patience and letting him get some pro games under his belt before he was ready to step into this lineup as an everyday player. Wild uh, made a couple of big splashes at the deadline, uh, but the biggest one obviously being uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. How has uh, uh, Dean Evason handled his goalies since making that big move? It's obviously working out well so far. Yeah, they've split the workload evenly ever since Fleury debuted. And, um, you know, I think we're starting to see that a little more. Maybe the days of one goalie playing, you know, 65-plus games are gone, and, and maybe it's shifting more to a kind of a tandem system. But it's worked for the Wild. We'll see if it holds up for the playoffs. Usually you expect to, you know, anoint a starter and roll with one goalie, but they really have, have had this rotation in place now uh, for a while, and it's, and it's worked. It, it's kept, I think, the players fresh. I think they kind of know what to expect then. It, it's predictable. Um, you know, they can kind of figure out their off-ice work, how to stay sharp. And there hasn't been, you know, any lulls in terms of, you know, how the team has played in front of one versus the other. It seems like it's been a very seamless transition. Um, and it's helped the Wild pick up points. And obviously, they've clinched a playoff spot, but they're still vying for home ice advantage in a first-round series, likely against St. Louis. So, um, to have that kind of steady goaltending back there between Flurry and Cam Talbot, uh, it's been a real asset for the Wild of late, for sure. Well, and Sarah, another player that I kind of wanted to ask you about, and this is kind of more of a bigger picture, picture question, because obviously, as you mentioned, having a lot of success this year, Kevin Fiala, and for whatever reason, we, we, not that Minnesota's shopping him or whatever, but his name kind of, kind of comes up, uh, you know, every once in a while on trade, and obviously he has a contract situation coming up because he's RFA at the end of the season. If he doesn't stay in Minnesota, ultimately, what do you think it comes down to? Because for as good as he's been, it always seems like he's a guy that could potentially be available in the right deal. You know what, his name, yeah, you're right. It just seems like it's been out there. And, and maybe it's because he hasn't been on that long-term contract yet. Maybe with the Wild, it's been been kind of, you know, shorter deals uh, since he arrived from Nashville. But he has had a terrific breakout season, you know, to get to the 30-goal mark for the first time in his career. Um, you know, he's a tenacious worker on the ice, and he's really evolved his game this season to become a, a regular penalty killer you know, I think he broke into the league, and especially with Nashville, and when he came over from from the Predators to the Wild, was really looked like as this, you know, this offensive player, this power play producer, and you know, really just kind of focused on that side of his game. But he really wanted to become an all-around player, and it's benefited the Wild. He's been key, you know, too, to this team's success. 
he kind of single-handedly, you know, took over that game recently when the Wild clinched with an overtime win against San Jose on Sunday. And he has that ability. And, you know, Kaprizov steals a lot of the attention. He is this team superstar, but Fiala is very dynamic and he's had a terrific season. You're right. He's an RFA after this season. So the Wild obviously has to figure out that situation. There is that salary cap crunch looming with the buyouts of Zach Parise and Ryan Suter. So um, it's going to be a really interesting offseason for the Wild. But, you know, obviously playoffs to get to before then. But Fiala has been key for this team. You know, Kaprizov, like I said, he's closing in on 100 points. But Fiala has been, been a real tremendous, I think, steady, too, producer for this team since about, you know, maybe December, January on. Sarah, we really appreciate the time. Thank you. Take care, guys. Uh, there is Sarah McClellan uh, covering the Minnesota Wild at uh, the Star Tribune. And uh, a lot of uh, interesting thoughts there on mm-hmm. the Wild, who propose a very difficult matchup for anybody, really. I know uh, like some people uh, think the Wild are a Stanley Cup contender, if you're looking uh, way down the board over at playnow.com. But it's... Um, they're just a pain in the ass. Yes, you know that's that's, uh, that's the right way to put it. With some high end talent, like they they've got the kind of team that, especially with Kaprizov there now and Zuccarello finding his game once again, even at his advanced age, uh, Boldy coming in as a young player with some real real talent and is, I believe, leading rookies in, in points per game, at least those that have played at least half a season. Um, they've got some talent there. We know they're good on D, but they've been able to mix in some like real traditional, uh, yeah. heavy and grinded out meat and potatoes type players into that team too. My only question with them ultimately is, do you have enough of a high ultimate high end beyond Kaprizov and Fiala when he's feeling it? Because Zuccarello's yeah. having a good season, and he had a good playoff run with the Rangers when they made the Cup some years back, and he's capable, yep. obviously, to do things in the postseason. You know me, Sad. I love me a small forward that can get it done. Yeah, you know? and, his, and his name is Zuccarello. Even though he's from <laughs> Norway, you know, there's some... Uh, there's Zuccarello! Some, there's some Italian there yep. somewhere in Matt Zuccarello. So, but I, I kind of wonder about that. Like, Hartman is having a good year, but is he legit? Like he's never scored, you know, twenty in a year. Now he has thirty-one. Is he going to be that same impact player in the postseason? Boldy's a rookie, so so I wonder if, as good as they are, if some of that higher end isn't quite as high in the postseason against some of the top teams. That's my only question with them, ultimately, because you're right. You go through depth, they have it. Goaltending, they have two goalies. Uh, the, the structure is there with their team. They have size and speed. So you, have, you hit all those markers. Ultimately, that's my one question about that Minnesota Wild team. And if you look at them for next year, that's why I asked about Fiala. He's the only guy you have to make a big decision on for them. Yeah. And they have just over $8 million in cap space. So if they can get Fiala signed, they can essentially bring all their guys back outside of Flurry. Because you won't be able to afford to bring him back, depending on what he wants to do with his career. But yeah. so this team you see now, save the goaltending, could be all back next season. And that's kind of as, as much as they're capped out. They've done a good job of putting a roster together that has this year and potentially next year or two before they really have to make some tough decisions. Yeah, it's uh, decent planning, or at least it looks like it uh, from from Bill Guerin. Even uh, though it was surprising when he bought out both Parise and Suter. And I was just I was more surprised about the Suter buyout because he was still playing at a decent level, whereas 
obviously um, uh, Dak Parise is not at this point of his career, but it's just a really interesting team. One that's not totally flashy outside of number 97, as you mentioned, but one that still finds a way to get it done on so many nights. Jared Spurgeon, still one of the, even though he's getting paid eight, eight sheets a year, is still yeah. one of the more underrated defensemen in the league. And uh, Brodeen has continued to be very solid. Dumba right now is nursing a bit of an injury, is uh, doubt for tomorrow's game against the Vancouver Canucks, so maybe a little bit of help there. But in the overall the Minnesota Wild are who they are, and they're going to be a pain in the ass to get a victory against, especially in their home barn. It's a 5 o'clock puck drop tomorrow. We'll have pregame at 4 and uh, Canuck Central at 3 tomorrow afternoon as well. It's um, it's not really a team because copycat league, sure, Sat, but is that really a team you can replicate? Is it a team you would want to replicate? Or would you more prefer the Tampa Bay model, which is incredibly hard to replicate because they've found so many stars in deep spots of the draft? Um, Minnesota is more of a team build that is more uh, repeatable than one that's built on a bunch of draft picks that have hit real big. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's one of those things where – it ultimately comes down to pick volume. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as you, we're, we're trying to figure out okay, so what's the best way for you to, you know, get talent, it comes down to volume of draft picks. The teams that have had the most success are the teams that, you know, have just had more volume and have been able to hold on to more picks. Carolina's right now the prime example. Yeah, and if you go through Minnesota and the Wild and how they've kind of been able to draft players, you go through their drafts, even going back to the 2019 draft, we talk about guys like Boldy that are coming up and stuff like yep. that. I mean, these are players that even before Brackett got there, they were doing a good job of finding and, and drafting. And now you look at the drafts they've had since then and some really more talented players coming up through the pipeline. And they've had some high picks but a lot of it's been really hitting on multiple picks having a couple first rounders more second rounders and that's where if you have a good scouting staff give them more bullets that's essentially what it is because the higher end picking high it's hard to find you mean you have to really suck to get there and tampa's big edge has been hitting on those second round picks yeah and that's been you know finding a superstar and and that's a hard thing to replicate but the only way you can perhaps get there is yes having good staff but just having excess picks Having some extra second-round picks, man, believe believe, believe it or not, it makes a big, big difference. Second-round picks, third-round picks, uh, however however you can do it. And sometimes it's a lot uh, more achievable than you think. Um, you know, the New England Patriots, uh, Bill Belichick really did it uh, first, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But trading down in the draft just to get a couple of more picks. Because at, there's a certain point where, you know, okay, all of these picks the percentage chance of us hitting on this player is quite similar if we look at the history of the draft. So let's just get more bullets rather than, you know, there's certain players that you see and that you love and then you're like, I want I got to have that guy, right? You want to trade up to get him or whatever it is. But in reality, and again, and everything comes down to the math of it all, Sat, you just mm-hmm. straight up give yourself some more bullets, you'll end up with more hits. You know, you give yourself more darts, you're going to end up with more hits on the dartboard. That's just the way probabilities 
work. And that's why the trading down mindset has gained so much traction and one that I think Carolina employs it most in the NHL. They do, but at the same time, like it's one of those things where you have to make sure where you're getting that trade down value. And like having extra fourth or fifth round picks really doesn't do anything for you. It's really it's how you kind of are able to accrue more value in that second and third round. It's essentially a top hundred. Now everybody's top hundred list is different, and that's why you see good players find themselves in the fourth or the fifth round. But where you make hay is the top three rounds. Yeah. And if you're trading down and you're getting extra second and thirds, great. I don't really love the trade downs. We're getting extra fourths and fifths. I mean, sure, it's, it it gives you you know a lottery ticket, but that's not super exciting. Even in the NFL kind of going through some of the stuff that you've seen, teams that trade down in the first but then get extra seconds and thirds do well. Once they're trading down from second and third to fourth and fifth and stuff like that, that's where that value is just not commensurate with that higher draft pick. It's a sweet spot you have to find. And that's why the third round pick is becoming such a valuable commodity in the National Hockey League because yeah. it doesn't. it's not quite the same as that second, but it's not that far off because so many teams' lists are different that more often than not, if you have a player ranked, say, in the top... 60 or 65 you have a good chance of finding that player maybe even the 80s or 90s because your list is just going to be so different from the rest of the lists across the national hockey league uh the canucks did have an extra third round pick this year but obviously moved it out to acquire travis dermott after acquiring that pick in exchange for travis hamannick they do not have a second rounder this year it it will be interesting to see how the Canucks go about using their picks because hey maybe you want to replenish that second round pick is it trading down in the first to get maybe a later first plus a second or a third uh, that's one thing you can do to maybe uh, get some extra picks towards the end of that first round, late first, uh, and into the second round. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. It's a Wednesday, so you know it's overrated, underrated Wednesday. We've had some submissions come in on Twitter. You can get yours in, 650-650, on the Dunbar Lumber text line. That's next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central, it is Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Um, the NHL Draft Lottery is uh, set. It's going to happen in uh, May this year. So let's take a look at what could be coming at the NHL Draft. The Canucks uh, likely not going to get a top pick with the run that they've been on under Bruce Boudreaux. But always good to take a look at who is coming through with one of our favorites, Cam Robinson, Director of Film Scouting for Elite Prospects. Thanks for this, Cam. How are you? I'm doing well, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for uh, making time as always. Um, just before we, we get into the draft, you know, we've, we've talked so often about Elias Pettersson ever since he was drafted by the Vancouver Canucks. Um, turns out he's still a really good hockey player with the way that he's played here in the second half, eh? Who knew? Who could have saw it coming, hey? What a shocker. <laughs> it's really surprising that uh, talented hockey players do uh, do good things for you. 
I know, right? It's it's the whole context, right? I, I, I get it that, that people were genuinely concerned by his, his output early in the season there. And, you know, fair enough. He had, you know, whatever it was, 16, 18 points in the first 30 games. Um, but, you know, he was off for eight months with that wrist injury. Sure, it was over the summer, but, like, he didn't play a game for eight months. And, you know, people are pointing their finger, well, he shouldn't have held out from camp then if you know if you don't want to face that kind of heat you know don't miss camp it's like the guy missed eight months he missed eight days of training camp and and you know in a contract negotiation it's not always one-sided right like I'm sure he would have loved to have been there for for day one of the camp too and it, it took a little bit longer to get the deal done and and I don't think that even if he was at camp at day one that it would have dramatically changed how his start went mm-hmm. you know he needed to he needed to work through some things he needed to get his confidence back and feel comfortable out there and obviously the wrist needed to heal up further and, and get stronger and and now lo and behold you know we've got ourselves a you know maybe Patrick Alvin doesn't agree but a, a superstar player and he's playing like one and well, and yeah. it's it's fun to see and I think uh, you know I was talking to some buddies last night and the, what the Canucks have done down the stretch here has been really impressive. And, you know, they've galvanized as a group and they've made it exciting and they're, you know, they're coming right down to the wire and it, you know, they're probably not going to get there. But to me, the most important thing is that, you know, Pedersen, Hughes, Demko, Horvat, that core players, JT Miller as well, obviously um, they're, they're playing well. And that's, that's number one is that you can, your core move forward in the next year, you know, Vasily pod Colson stepping up in the last month mm-hmm. or so it's, that's been tremendous. That's been so great to you can look at that and be like, he can transform that top six. You, you know, they, when they go and make their changes this summer and you know that they're going to be looking at making some substantial ones is that if you can, if you can pencil in pod Coles mm-hmm. and to be a guy who could, you know, look at scoring 20, 25 goals next year for you in that top six. And then that's going to move the needle a lot as well. And we'll get into put Coles in a bit more here uh, as this uh, conversation develops, but you know, Another thought on Pedersen, and you know, I do kind of challenge the notion that this is the best hockey we've seen from him because Cam, and I think you know this as well as anybody, his second season in the league was tremendous. I think people forget how good he was in that second season, especially in the postseason as well. And the office of production over this past forty game stretch is something we haven't seen before. But I'm not sure he's taken a step as a player outside of playing on the PK, which kind of tells me that that leap that we were expecting to see from year two to year three, which didn't happen, and obviously going through the injuries, it's not happening this year what could that leap look like next season for him so he uh you know i might have my math wrong here but i think he's right around that 240 games played now for his career regular season games and you know in the business we talk about that that's that's that fourth year breakout and so he had the injury and he had the hiccups and now like basically the back half of the season this is him breaking out in the fourth season and so next year that'll just be a continuation of it so I'm expecting that there there should be another leap forward as long as he can stay healthy and have a good off season of training there's really no reason to expect that he won't come back and be above a point per game player for the duration of the season like we should be looking at him stepping into being like a top 10 contender for the Art Ross the Hart Trophy I don't think that that's out of reach for him in his age 24 season that's that is the prime window for a player of his caliber to, to really start hitting those high notes. And and that's, I think that's got to be the expectation. The paycheck is, you know, similar to that level already. And then, you know, I think that he's ready to take that step. Maybe then Patrick Alvine will think he has some stars on this roster. Maybe then, maybe then we'll see. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, you mentioned Vasily Podkolzin earlier. Um, just, just how surprising is it that he's playing, at this level right now? Because it, it's been um, so impressive watching him play over the last few weeks. 
you know, opportunity is a hell of a drug. And, and so you, you give them, you give them some time in the top six, you give them some minutes, you know, all of a sudden he finds himself on the power play. Young players thrive on confidence, on enthusiasm, on trust from the coaches and from their teammates. And that's big, especially for a kid who, you know, the last couple of years hasn't had a lot of that outside of, you know, playing the junior level of the, the world's, um, and things like that where, you know, he was the go-to guy for Team Russia for the U-20 events. But um, with his club teams in the KHL, you know, it's it's probably been a, a tough slog for him seeing limited minutes. You know, he came into this year and, you know, he's basically averaged, you know, 10 to 12 minutes for the most part this season. And now he's seeing 14, 15, 16, 18 minutes a night and he's feeling good. And you can see, like, he's always had the just terrific playmaking vision and hands and he can set up those plays. And now he's playing with players who can finish them. And, you know, I, I think it was Bo Horvath who said, you know, he's got the hardest shot on the team already. The kid's 20 years old mm-hmm. and he's got a rocket of a release. And, you know, he's always had a really heavy shot, but the accuracy is kind of coming up through the development curve. It, it hasn't always been there. Um, it's starting to come. And so, you know, we always we always projected him to be this big, strong, bullish winger. And, and those guys tend to take a little bit longer. And so, you know, I tweeted it out last night is that, you know, his progression in the last month is, is what you were hoping to get in year three or year four. And he's starting to show it now. And if he can keep that going, you know, obviously the sophomore season, it can be a hiccup for some players. But I, I think if he can if he can get himself in a position to stay in that top six, to still, you know, to continue to see power play time that, you know, I, I see a, a big elevation in points coming next season and that confidence will continue to grow and just wait until he starts like really throwing that, that weight around too. Because you, you saw it last night, he was getting under players' skins. He's been doing it for a little while now too. He's, he's disruptive out there. He's hard on the forecheck. And then he's got the hands, he's got the vision to make plays, finish plays. Um, so, you know, it, there's a reason that he was, he was ranked as a top three prospect throughout the, the majority of his draft eligible season, slipped all the way to 10 to Vancouver, and it was great value for them. Well, and the projections for him kind of changed a lot, because I remember when we were doing the prospect show back in the day too, Cam here on Sportsman, you, you, myself, or Ryan Beach, and we talked so much about put Coles in that year and him coming through and how at one stage he was considered a surefire top three prospect, perhaps even elite level upside then that projection kind of comes down and says okay well he might be you know a really good second line type of guy that's a driver not a huge point producer but does a bit of everything for you and then that kind of changed because of his struggles and that lack of opportunity in the KHL how do we view his ceiling today after being drafted back in 2019 now yeah, it, it was an interesting draft eligible season because, you know, he came out and just destroyed the Helinka the year before, to, or to start the season, I should say. Um, you know, I think it was like eight goals in five games led that tournament in scoring. And that's what really kind of catapulted his his draft stock. I was really strong at the World Junior under-19s that year, too. So internationally, he was all over the place. But then his club play has always kind of dragged behind for the points. And so that, you know, in my mind... It's great when a player can step up in those short tournaments and those high-pressure situations. That's a big game player. You like those players. But you also have to take a look at the bigger picture and be like, you know, he's never really been a big scorer anywhere else he's played. Um, so that that I do I do think that that puts somewhat of a ceiling on his on his on his total production level. So I've kind of pegged him as being a guy that you could hopefully get 25 goals and 60 points out of in his prime. But you know, that, that goes out the window when you're surrounded by high-level players. So, like, if he can really find a mesh with Horvat or with Pedersen, um, a player who can, you know, really create things and they can work together, that, you know, maybe we can bump that up a little bit too. But I think the real key to it is that he has the awareness the physical stature and nature to his game that he should be able to play in all situations, you know, kill penalties for you, play on your power play in the bumper or in the net front, um, drive play at five on five, 
beat somebody that teams do not want to play against in the playoffs who can hurt you physically and hurt you on the score sheet. And that's the type of guy you win with too, right? So it's great if you can have a finesse player who can maybe put up 80, 85 points in the regular season, but if they go quiet in the playoffs, they're not worth you know the paycheck that they're getting versus a guy that maybe he's only going to get you 55, 60 in the regular season, but if he can continue at that pace or maybe elevate it and be hard to play against in the playoffs, like those guys, they really earn their money. Cam Robinson, our guest. Uh, before we start to get into the draft eligibles, can I get a thought on Connor Bedard's season? Um, I, I know he's been praised a ton, uh, but it just feels like this kid scoring over 50 in the dub at his age, um, this is as good a prospect as we've seen since McDavid. Yeah, pretty decent season, I guess. Hey, yeah, that's uh, all right. The 16 year old kid out there yeah. doing some stuff. No, it, it's 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 been a treat, an absolute treat to watch him. You know, his his 15 year old season in the bubble was incredible, but you know, we had to put the asterisks on it that it was such a such a short season, no travel. Um, he, the, the amount of points he put up was still ridiculous, but it was like, okay, let's see what he can do in his 16 year old season. And then we can start to compare him to some of these greats that have done it before too. Right. And so, you know, he put up 51 goals and hundred points and it was, there was a coaching change in Regina in about mid November. And at that point, you know, he was, he was still scoring um, like over half a goal a game, but his, his overall points were, you know, they were, they were a little muted. I think he had something like 22 points in 18 games or 16 games, which is still great for most 16 year olds. It'd be unreal. But after that point, he just took off. Like, you know, he, he was putting up 80 points in the back 40 games or something like that, which is just ridiculous. Two points a game. Um, he's, he's a superstar already. Now he's not Connor McDavid. He doesn't play like Connor McDavid. He doesn't have that electric otherworldly speed, but his mind is at the same level. He processes the game so highly, so quickly, um, leaps and bounds above any other player in the WHL that I've personally really ever scouted. Um, his shot is very, very nuanced. Like he gets it off on both feet, off funny angles when he's off balance. Um, he can beat netminders clean from anywhere, and that's going to translate for him. So I get asked often, you know, like what type of player is he project to be? You know, is he Braden Point? Is he Nikita Kucherov? And and I see a lot of Nikita Kucherov in his game, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's going to be even better. Like I, I honestly think that this this is a kid who's gonna he's gonna step into the NHL right away. And you know, he is only five foot nine right now, so there is going to be a transition with that physicality, and, and they're going to key in on him. Teams are going to gear up on him. But he's so so smart. He's so so dangerous. Excellent hands. I don't see any reason why this guy won't put up 50 goals in the NHL. And then obviously the points are just going to flow with it, the assist too. So here's hoping he ends up in a, in a quality organization that can surround him with talents. Because unfortunately in Regina, he didn't have that. So that only adds, you know, another level or three to just how impressive his season was, is that the Pats, they didn't have much going for him. Their next best player on their team was a kid who's not eligible till 2024 and Tanner Howe. Mm-hmm. So they definitely didn't surround him with, with the talent that he needed to really explode, and he did it anyways. So I'm just excited to see what he has for an encore for us in his draft eligible season, his final year in the WHL. Hopefully Regina can, can bring in some talent and help him out or they move him. Uh, they own the rights to a kid, Matthew Wood, who's playing in Victoria in the BCHL this year, um, put up a historic season. So maybe he, he decides to decommit from university and come play with Bedard for a season and have some fun together ahead of the draft. I think that would be great. Um, but yeah, it's, it's everybody should be gearing up to, if you're tanking next season, like you've, you've got a real prize waiting for you. Yeah, no question about that. And as far as this year's draft is concerned, I mean, Shane Wright, some of that luster has somewhat worn off a little bit. So my question to you, especially looking at that, say, top 16 range where the Canucks are going to be finding themselves, I mean, at best, probably, what, sixth or fifth overall, depending on winning the lottery or whatever. I mean, that's not 
you're not picking mm-hmm. any higher than that. But as far as the tiers go in that top 15, 16 range, like how do you see it in this year's draft? Yeah, so I, I do still think that Shane Wright's at the top, and, and I know some public outlets have, have kind of moved the needle on that a little bit. For me, you know, he's he's been very good down the stretch too, and, he, you know, he's a two-way center who's he's put up a significant amount of points. He leads all draft eligibles in, in points and points per game, um, you know, by a, by a pretty healthy margin, and he has that really nuanced defensive game. He's going to be a player that's really going to help a team. Um, down the middle, he's going to play a smart, heavy game, another one who should be able to play in all situations for you, but... You know, you're not getting Jack Hughes. You know, you're not getting a guy that in his third year is going to flirt with a 100-point pace. Um, that's that's not probably going to be the type of player he is. He's going to be more of uh, someone you can rely upon. And, you know, maybe he'll maybe he'll squeak out a, a point-of-game season or two somewhere down the stretch, especially if he gets surrounded by some good talent. Um, but you're, you're going to pay him for his smarts and, and his all-around play, similar to, you know, Patrice Bergeron. Um, if he can get to a level like that, obviously that would be tremendous for him. But after that, you know, it's in a kind of a close tier right behind him. For me, there's a couple of defensemen, Simone Nemec, uh, you know, there's Logan Cooley, who's a great strong center. Um, David Jurasek, who missed a bunch of months. He got hurt at the world juniors. Another, another defenseman on the right side there. Those guys are kind of in a group of themselves. For me, I have Frank Nazar right in that group as well. You know, Slavkovsky's had just a terrific back half of his season. They're all kind of jumbled in the mix, but you know, I mentioned Frank Nazar is that there's a decent chance that, a player who I have ranked in the top five handily is going to be there for Vancouver around that 14, 15, 16 spot. And so that's where the draft gets a lot of, you know, it kind of gets fun is, is right after that group. Most people don't have Nazar up there. Um, and then it's kind of this big swath of players that have some question marks, you know, Matt Savoy, five foot nine center who doesn't get to the inside. Some people like him as high as like three or four. Other people think that, you know, he should be down at 20. Um, Connor Geeky, they play together at Winnipeg, him and Savoy, a big, smart center with great hands, great vision, doesn't skate all that well, doesn't have great pace. Some people like him in the top five, some people like him around 20. Um, you know, Pavel Mintyukov uh, is uh, really a, a highly, highly active defenseman playing in the OHL. Tons of fun to watch. Like, he is engaged in plays, really strong defensively. Again, he's, he's you know, we have him at EP ringside at number seven. And he's he's sitting on 20 on, on different boards as well. I'm not sure where – I think Bob McKenzie has him pretty in the mid-teens or something like that too. So there's going to be a lot of options for Vancouver in their range, assuming they don't win the draft lottery, which, you know, it's Vancouver, so they're not going to win the draft lottery. Um, but there's – I think for them, they're going to be looking at defense. Um, just obviously that their their pipeline is is pretty void in that and they don't you know it's not a strength on their team at the moment as well so they're probably going to focus on that but there is going to be some options at, at forward at center at wing um, for some like really high skill guys that might have a bit of a lower floor than than some of the other ones around them but like at that range you want to swing big right you you it's okay, I guess, if you pull a third or fourth liner out and you're picking 16, but I'd rather miss and not get anybody, but potentially get myself a first liner too. For a team, you know, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but, you know, for Vancouver, who's uh, light on prospects, who doesn't have a ton of pick, don't have a second round pick right now this year, um, you know, would you entertain uh, trading down in this tight kind of a first round uh, to, to maybe get yourself a later first round pick and add a second? Like, would that be something you would entertain in a draft like this one? Yeah, I would, especially if, you know, the tiers that you like are all gone. You know, if you're picking at 16 yeah. and your first two tiers are, are empty now um, and then you've got a healthy tier three. Yeah. 
go ahead and slide back three, four, five spots and pick yourself up. Maybe you get yourself a second arm because, you know, more darts on the board is always going to be useful, right? They, they've got, they're paying, they're paying Ryan Beach and Rachel Dory and, and uh, in Fox and all these guys, they're paying them a lot of money to, to find unearth some of these players later in the draft. And so you want to give them opportunities to do it. Um, so yeah, I'd absolutely do that. But I think that in this one, that it's such a unique class is that there is really no consensus. And, you know, I, I talk to teams as well and I get opinions from them off the record and, they're seeing it completely differently too, right? So, so there's gonna be there's gonna be fluctuations. There's probably gonna be a player or two sitting there that Vancouver really likes and that they feel shouldn't be there at 15 or 16. And in which case, you just step up and you take that player. Yeah, and you know it's it's going to be super interesting. You're right because of not only in, in in any giving draft year, there's always variance in different teams' draft lists, but especially in especially this year. And something we've been tracking and talking to a lot of our prospects analysts over the year has been, especially what's happening in Russia with Ukraine. What type of impact will this have on Russian prospects? And this seems to be a real thing teams are considering with just all the logistics involved here. So a guy like Danila Yurov, for instance, super talented guy, hasn't been getting a ton of ice time since being moved up to the KHL. Some view him as a surefire top 7-8 talent, but now some have projected outside of top 10-15 potentially. How do you view him as a player, and would he be a guy you would consider a massive value proposition if he's there at, say, 15 or 16? I think at 15-16 that that would provide good value, Absolutely. You know, I've had him in and around my top 10 all season. I'm a big Euro fan. I broke down his game in depth for film room for EP ringside early in the season. Not a high offensive talent, but another one of these guys, he doesn't play like Pod Colson, but you might consider a, a similar line of thought with him where it's like he's going to play and he's going to be, he has a really safe floor. He makes smart plays. He's a north-south player, but he does have some pop too to his game as well. Um, so he's, he's, a, he's a really nice player. I've heard from some team side people that, you know, he's going to fall out of the top 20, that there's a chance that he's going to be there on day two because, you know, North America and countries aren't going to be lining up to give these kids visas. So, you know, I mentioned um, a kid already, Pavel Mintyukov, who's over here playing for Saginaw already. So he's already got his visa. He's in North America. He's playing. He's, he's okay. That shouldn't affect him too much. But a guy like, you're off or Maroshnichenko, who obviously is dealing with the illness right now is that's going to, I'm sure plummet his draft stock, but you know, there's a kid Gleb uh, Trikazov as well that had a, just an excellent MHL playoffs. He's a really under the radar prospect. That's kind of be getting some hype too. It's like, these guys are going to fall. They're going to provide terrific value outside the first round. And then, you know, the guys that were supposed to go in the, in the third, fourth, fifth round, they might not even get drafted. Like we might be going back to, you know, the 2011 days where everyone was afraid of the KHL and Kucherov's fall into the 50s and, and all these things are happening. Or, you know, back into the late 80s when, you know, Detroit takes Fedorov in the fifth round or something like that and everybody laughs at them because they think it's a, it's a throwaway pick because you're not going to get them over. Um, so I think that there is a lot of a division on what to do with these Russian players. I think Yurov is probably the safest because he's clearly the most skilled one, the safest player. But you still got to you got to get them over here. And so that there is risk attached to these players. And so, yeah, I, I've heard some teams think that they're going to they're going to drop like stones. And if that's the case, that's an opportunity for, for getting some serious value later in the draft, too. So uh, I, I'm really interested to see how it goes. Nobody really knows. And we don't have a roadmap for this right now. It's it's kind of unique circumstance. And as it should be, that there's there is going to be some some blowback to what's going on over there right now. And so it's unfortunate that these 
17, 18 year old players are going to, are going to take the brunt of it when it has nothing to do with them really, but it's just kind of part and parcel. So it will be the, the, the more creative, the more open teams, I think will probably be more in favor of, of taking swings on some of these higher skilled Russian players later in the draft. And then, you know, you own their rights for a while, sit on them, see, see what happens in two, three years. And, and you might have yourself a, a player that you got way later than you should have. Cam, we, uh, we always appreciate the time. Thanks for this today. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Uh, there is uh, Cam Robinson, one of the best. Uh, does a ton of scouting, and you can check out his work and his prep for the NHL entry draft over at Elite Prospects, where he is the director of film scouting. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this new front office handles the draft and handles you know, going into the draft. Yeah, mm-hmm. now, They haven't... Um, really uh, redesigned their scouting staff or anything like that yet, Sat. But uh, anytime you get a new front office, uh, you start to learn a lot more about them once you get to the offseason and it starts with the draft. It does. And, you know, the the philosophy you kind of outlined about trading down and yeah. bigger picture, what you're looking to kind of accomplish, will be interesting to see what they will value and what they would do. And I would imagine they would be pretty fluid, especially based on a lot of the things that Cam talked about. Depending on yeah. the list this year, too, because I see so much variance looking at the lists. And, you know, obviously we haven't had a chance to dig into the prospects as much as we have in previous years this season. So I haven't done as much digging as I normally do on these guys to give my own real view on a ton of them. But just talking to a lot of people, it's amazing how many different opinions I get yeah. on guys when I ask around. And even when I go overseas to ask about certain players. So if the if the Canucks all of a sudden see, like, Cam mentioned three or four guys they really like they're not trading down because it's like man we really want one of these guys we're going to take one of these guys but if that kind of gets exhausted then it becomes more palatable for you to do that and I'm really interested to see how teams view these Russian players we've been tracking this now for a few weeks and it's a real thing to keep in consideration and it comes down to you know how the Canucks view these prospects and you know how they see them but given where the Canucks are and the fact they don't have a second round pick this season if I'm Vancouver, um, even though you might end up not getting a few of them over later yeah. in the draft, like I, I would take flyers on some of these guys. It might be your best bet to get some extreme value down the road because these kids haven't done anything wrong, yeah. and eventually they'll be allowed to play. It's just right now everything's a bit murkier around you know Russian nationals, so that's what makes it a bit co- complicated. But imagine the players. I mean, it could be a massive inefficient yeah. uh, market inefficiency, those players this year, and if you're able to grab a couple of them because teams are re- hesitant – well, you could be better off for it long term. I mean, you don't have to go back to to Beret to find guys that just fell in the draft simply because they are Russian. Uh, the guy uh, that is a superstar for the Minnesota Wilds, um, Kirill Kaprizov, was a fifth round draft choice just back in 2015. There was questions of you know when or how you were going to when or if he was going to make uh, a commitment to the NHL mm-hmm. to coming over, um, and obviously, eventually did. It took time. Right, he was just a rookie last year, and uh, lo and behold, uh, he is a superstar that they got out of the fifth round. But yeah. he was an immense talent. We all knew he was an immense talent, even when he was getting into that draft. Yeah, and you know there are always a lot of reasons around it. Now, the Burray one was the funniest because yeah. the Canucks got sued over that because <laughs> nobody thought you could draft Burray that year, and the Canucks yep. still did it, and they eventually got away with it. But you know, generally speaking, you're right. History's littered with so many circumstances of players being taken later because teams were just kind of afraid of taking those guys and next thing you know it works out for you really well and I wonder depending on who's there when the Canucks are picking if that's something they consider 
when you factor in how they're in real need of a lot of higher-end prospects as time goes on. And uh, we'll see where the Canucks line up. The draft lottery is May 10th uh, if the Canucks end up in it. will be interesting to see if they move up at all, given that they uh, will likely be in the mid of the first round. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, Canucks Central on Sportsnet 650.